This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. That guy is a character. That guy lives in a wardrobe case over here to my right. And that's a character. And I and that character comes out in about a half hour. And then I get dressed and then I do the thing for two hours and then I put him away. That's blues musician Joe Bonamassa talking about his stage persona and being a sharp-dressed man. The guitar great talks about his influences, covering everybody from Tom Waits to Gary Moore, and some up-and-coming musicians who are keeping the blues alive in this episode of Behind the Set List. Welcome to Behind the Set List, the podcast where artists tell the stories about the songs they perform live. I'm Jay Gilbert from Label Logic. And I'm Glenn Peoples from Billboard. Jay, when I think of the blues, I think of Muddy Waters or Sunhouse or Elmore James, some older artists, maybe Tedeschi Trucks Band for a newer artist. Mm-hmm. Who do you think of when you think of the blues? The first thing that pops into my head is B.B. King. I'm such a huge fan. Sure. I got to work with the man, um, just love his body of work. And it just, to me, he's like the pinnacle of blues. But that's for you know the historical um, foundation of blues. Um, when you talk about more contemporary blues, the first person I think about is Joe Bonamassa. Yeah, when you think about who's keeping the blues alive today, we were able to pose that question to one of today's best blues rock guitarists out there, Joe Bonamassa. He's certainly doing his part to keep the blues in the public spotlight through his touring, recording, live concert videos, and charitable work. His latest release, Tales of Time, is a live version of his last studio album, Time Clocks from 2021. Some listeners might be familiar with Joe from public television. In fact, I saw one of his live concert videos just the other day. My local PBS station was raising money and showing one of Joe's concerts. And that says something about his broad appeal. PBS stations don't raise money off of just any musician. If they're airing your concerts, you're right up there with the likes of Andre Bocelli. What's remarkable about Joe is that he's had a long career and he's only 45 years old. He was a child prodigy. You can go online and see a video of him when he was a teenager, a young teenager. It'll blow your mind. Released his first album back in 2000. He tours heavily. He hosts his own blues cruises in the Mediterranean. And he founded a not-for-profit, Keeping the Blues Alive, that helps blues musicians and funds music education. I really enjoyed this conversation. And, and so without further ado, here's Joe Bonamassa on Behind the Set List. Let it roll. We'd love to dig into one of your recent set lists, but before we do, I really want to talk about your upcoming live album, DVD, Tales of Time, comes out April 14th. 
recorded at beautiful Red Rocks. I've, I've got to see a, a lot of shows there and it's such an amazing place to play. The, the first focus track is a killer live version of Mind's Eye. Um, kind of that cool, comfortably numb sort of groove. But the album sort of focuses on some of the Time Clocks material. I'd love for you to tell us about that performance and that night. Well, you know, um, it was, uh, we did two nights at Red Rocks. The first, the first night it rained all night. And, uh, and uh, so the second night is what you see on the film. It was nice. And uh, we did the whole album. We did the whole Time Clocks album in its entirety, but we delayed the show about an hour because, um, you know, we had these huge, gigantic screens with all this content. And it's like, you know, when you play Red Rocks in August, the sun doesn't go down until about nine o'clock. So I didn't want to start shooting fireworks off during the day. You got to like wait till it gets dark. And we had that. Um, and so we did all our, quote, hits um, at the front of the show did about 50 minutes and then when it started getting dark then we pretended like we were starting the show from from so and the dvd the way it's sequenced is the second hour is the time clocks thing the first hour which will be in the bonus uh features you'll be like well did they go back in time how is this working why is it light out and dark that's why because we, we just kind of reversed the order you know some of the sets that we've looked at recently um it looks like you're opening with evil mama pretty much every night is that true yeah it, it sets the tone you know i i i'm i'm one of the firm believers in, in in writing a set list that has act one two and three and i believe the people um in south bend indiana or charlotte north carolina deserve at least some of the stuff that is the strongest in our book you know and so we've been we open up with that it's it seems to just set up it sets a good tone for the evening and then and then you know we hit them with some light and shade and then second act i generally you know what we've been doing um since the time clocks tour which we didn't play any straight blues you know um we've added some straight blues into the show and that that goes over really well because it's like just when you think it's just going to be thick and sludgy and blues rock all night it kind of opens up and airs out. And then by the time we get to the end, you know, a lot of flashing lights and, and you know, we play one of our big songs at the end. Yeah. And, and then, you know, that's, it, and, you know, because I can write a set list that's two hours long that 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 feels like, um, you know, the the, 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 the the story that never ends, okay? <laughs> you know, it, it just, if you're, not, if you're not paced properly, two hours can go by and it seems like four. But if you pace properly, two hours goes by and people think you've only been out for an hour and 15 minutes. So there's, there's a trick to all this. Yeah, I like the way you mix it up. I mean, that first of all, you talk about Evil Mama. I like that kind of almost a nod to Led Zeppelin's rock and roll as you kind of kick that thing off. Yeah. And then Dust Bowl, at least on the set list I was looking at, man, it, it's just got such a groove to it. And, you know, you kind of kick it off and you've got these you know, these horns on Evil Mama, and, and it's just really dynamic. And throughout, it's kind of this ebb and flow like you're talking about, and, and I imagine that's by design. It is, and and it and it's, I have such a big book of songs, and so many different styles, like it's like pick a pick a genre of Bonamassa, it's like that kind of thing. And so many different styles and, and things that ultimately, um, ultimately, you know, I could take the audience on a journey where you could play 
14, 15 songs a night and none of it, none of it sounds the same. So it doesn't get, it doesn't get same, you know, and dynamics is super important. I mean, I, you know, uh, it, it's, it's one of the things I learned from BB King and Buddy Guy and, 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 and watching those, those cats. And, and because when you're, when your show lacks dynamics, it just, it gets up on a wave and it just kind of flatlines, you know, but if it's got peaks and valleys, light and shade, you know, heavy bits, soft bits, things that, you know, make the audio, you draw them in. Sometimes you want to pin them back in the seat, use the guitar as a weapon or make them try to make them cry. It's, it's all, it's show business. I mean, it's, it's show business. And, and, you know, the, the pacing of a movie and a concert to me is almost uh, tangentially related. You know, the show in Peoria, February 22nd, the fourth song is Self-Inflicted Wounds, which really slows things down nicely. It's a beautiful song. On the album, I want to say it's about six minutes. I might be wrong. It's much longer live, and that's kind of the the standard for your show because I think you do 13 songs, and it's not a short so. A punk band could do a 13-song set in about 30 minutes. Talk about how your songs kind of take on a different life from the record to the live show. It, it, it just, it, you know, like things get extended, you know, we have some fun with it, bring it up, bring it down. Um, like in the case of self-inflicted wounds, um, our great vocalist, Jay McCray takes a, takes a vocal solo um, at the very end and it brings that house down, you know? And my job after every song is to, to, to get the most amount of response from that song as I possibly can. And sometimes you can overarrange yourself into no applause, or sometimes you can simplify things and dumb it down a bit. And I know that sounds counterintuitive to, you know, musician speak, but, but one of the reasons I'm, I'm as successful as I am is because I, well, it's not conscious. I'm, I'm just that dumb, you know, <laughs> and it, 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 it's, it's, it's attainable, for non-musicians as well as musicians, you know, is, you know, and, you know, that, that's why we play the bigger places and, and, and it, and it, and it, and it translates to a wider, wider audience. You know? Yeah. It, I listened to your studio recordings and then the live recordings and it reminded me a little bit and hear me out. It reminded me a little bit of like John Coltrane in that, you'll match that recording, you'll go improvise, you'll explore, you'll do some really interesting things, but you always seem to kind of bring it back home. Always, and it, and it starts and ends with the blues, you know? If all else fails, you start getting on these tangents, okay? And and you find yourself progging out, you know, uh, which we do, and it's fine by me. But the reality is, is that once you start, once you start, um, you know, once you start getting down those rabbit holes, if you if you ever need to bring it back, always always start and end with the blues because it'll it'll it relates to the crowd. I know my audience. That's one of the one of the things I I know exactly what kind of songs they want to hear on a given evening. Yeah. You know, you're never going to see me go, well, I don't really feel like playing guitar tonight. I'm just going to, I'm going to let Josh take all the solos or I'll, I'll, we'll just, we'll just cut all the guitar solos out. I'm just going to sing and play acoustic guitar. It would be a revolt, you know, <laughs> yeah. there'd be 2,500 people revolting tonight. 
leaving, you know? Yeah. And th- that's because I know the audience. They, they, they want, they want to hear a big guitar solo. Yeah. They want to, they want to hear me shred over blues changes. I mean, it's something I get criticized for doing, but it's also what people want to hear. Yeah. So I, I don't question that. One song you covered frequently in 2022 was Midnight Blues by Gary Moore that was on one of your live albums, I believe. And what kind of influence did he have on you as a guitarist and a songwriter? Well, he was a proof of concept, you know, um, especially in Europe. Um, you know, he he came out, I mean, obviously he was a very well-respected rock guitar player in the 80s, you know, with the Thin Lizzy and his solo work. Um, and then he did, you know, still got the blues, which was, I think, 1990, 1991, and it exploded. And I was like, wow, so a guy with a Les Paul and and a, and, and the propensity for, for, for playing too many notes can make it? I'm like, I'm in, you know? And uh, uh, he was so fiery and so just focused. And when he died, we just worked up that song just as a tribute to him. Which, you know, by the way, I mean, like, you know, just look at it. I mean, like, we're in 2023. It's already been a terrible year. I mean, Wayne Shorter yesterday, David Lindley today. I mean, David Crosby. Uh, y- you know, the list is going on. It's just, it's just nuts. But um, when he died, suddenly, we just played it once just because we wanted to pay tribute. And I ended up doing a, a gig in his place with Jack Bruce, and we played it. And the audience just loved it, so I just kept it in. You know, it's a cool cover and it's it's fun to sing. And it's, that's a we're, we're kind of we did it maybe three times so far this year. Yeah, it must be hard for you to pick cover tunes. I mean, you've got 15 albums out and you have yeah. such an embarrassment of riches to choose from. And then to choose a cover tune, you're going to have to squeeze one of those out. Tell us about that process of crafting that set list. Well, you know, one of the things is is if you're going to do a cover, okay, if you if you can't reimagine it or or do it justice, then then you're just wasting your time and the audience's time. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't subscribe to just because you can, it you know don't mean you should. It's the title of one of my songs. Um, you know, just because I can cover "Dark Side of the Moon" poorly, <laughs> yeah, doesn't mean I should. You, you know what I mean? You know, if I decided like, hey guys, we're gonna learn back back in black, all 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 the way through, and then I go out there and try, it's like it's like why why bother? You're, yeah. you're, you know. So when you pick a cover, you, you want to be able. It's got to be in your wheelhouse, and it's also got to be a, 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 a situation where it means something to you, and you're doing something different of it, you know, with it. And that 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 it, there's a there's a a bit of parameters. You know, and and we've done a bunch of tribute shows where we did covers, and and all those songs needed to be in my wheelhouse and mean something to me. Or else I'm just I'm just in a cover band. Yeah. One of your covers that I love is is the Tom Waits "Jockey Full of Bourbon" um, that you've played live. You put it on your uh, 2009 album. It, it's faithful to the original. You're never going to copy Tom Waits exactly, so you're going to put your own spin on it. Talking about talk about how you put your spin on that song. You just have to go. Okay, here's the spirit of the song. Here's where Tom wrote it. Here's my interpretation. Let's. What would John Mayall do? What would what would the Jeff Beck group do? 
1968. You know, how, how would they reinterpret that in, in a blues context? And um, it's one of our favorite songs. We just sound checked it the other day, and it's like I got to put it back in the site because it's just such a cool lyric and that that kind of broken down barroom piano intro, and then the you know just this it's kind of a ramshackle uh, uh, just structure, but it's such a beautiful lyric and has such a nice chorus um, that it's it it goes over well when we do it. Yeah, the one that surprises me, and and I love this song so much, and your version of of slow gin. Um, I was always a big Tim Curry fan. He's just got this amazing voice and I, I've always been such a fan. And it was so surprising when you when you started playing that. It it is just such a beautiful song and you do such a great version of that. How did you discover that song? Uh, my producer Kevin Shirley um brought it in in 2006 and goes, I just I got the cover for you. I have the song. This will be one of your signature songs, trust me. And I hear it. And I, I don't know if this is PG or PG-13, but the original lyric, the original chorus is, I'm so fucking lonely. And I'm like, I don't know, you know, we run a family show. And uh, I'm like, I don't think we're, we're going to get a parental advisory sticker on this, on the album. And, uh, you know, in a time where we didn't need that in our lives, you know. So um, anyway, um, I, I had the idea of... of Let's let's just do I'm so damn lonely. I'm so damn lonely in a right. And it was just really brilliant, um, you know, desperate blues and, and one of my good friends is uh, Bob Ezrin, the producer. And uh, he wrote it with uh, Michael Kamen. Um, and 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 you know it was it was something for Tim post I think uh, Rocky, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. And it's just such a interesting song and that it just it just lent itself to me because it was really like a blank canvas I was never going to be able to do the kind of method acting and and that kind of character that Tim put in it so I could just be like ah. you know you know it's it's uh it's 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 new to everyone love it sticking with cover songs uh, you've been playing ZZ Top's just got paid a lot in some recent sets uh last song before the encore talk about talk about that song if you could well you know um we're 15 years out of probably my most famous gig ever was the albert hall in 2009 and you know we brought back happier times this set um and i didn't realize how much people liked that song until I would run into people on the bus after the show. I'm like, oh, my God, thank you for playing Happier Times. I love this. I'm like, oh, OK, you know, got to give them what they want. And we had we had run out of uh, we, we'd run out of answers of, you know, who killed John Henry. And and it was it was it was time to to, to rest that for a year or two. And so I said, let's bring back Just Got Paid. And, and we do the whole kind of Albert Hall version. But there's a diff there's a couple of different twists and. It gets everybody up, and and it's it's a good jam uh, at the end, and it 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 breaks off really well for the encore, and and you know we always seem to get an encore, which is that's that's the key. It's a beautiful thing. Tell us a little bit about the keeping the blues alive nonprofit. I was just reading about that uh, yesterday, and it, it just seems uh, amazing. Tell us about that. 
it's awesome. You know, I mean, like we've raised a, about a million dollars for for, for uh, musicians and schools and stuff like that. We've really raised most of the money um, during the pandemic. We raised almost seven hundred thousand dollars, and we gave it away in in fifteen hundred dollar checks to any musician of any genre or ilk that needed help that had dates on the books that got you know. I ran it to somebody in the airport and. Uh, they just want a Grammy in the bluegrass category. And the mandolin player comes up to me. He's like, hey, listen, I just want to let you know that I signed up for your uh, for your for your fueling musicians thing. And they sent me a fifteen hundred dollar check. I'm like, dude, that's why I do it. You know, and to me, it's a stronger community. You know, I've been fortunate in my life to where, you know, uh, you know, I don't have to worry about keeping the lights on. Um, but, you know, when when you're talking about musicians who, who literally who literally live paycheck to paycheck, you know, and, and musicians that you've heard of that you go, well, they may on paper look like they're doing great, but, but they need to keep working. They can't, they can't take six months off or else they'll run out of, you know, liquid cash. Yeah. So that, that's, yeah, that's why we do it. Keeping the blues alive is, is something you hear a lot and it's not just the music. It is the musicians. The music maker foundation comes to mind when I think of groups that help musicians, um, the Blues Foundation in Memphis, I believe, does the same thing. How would you characterize kind of the state of the blues right now? Keeping in mind, we're coming out of a pandemic, and, and that was tough for a lot of musicians. But what are things like? A lot of exciting young talent in it right now. Kingfish, I think, has been, I think, the breakout star. Um, Marcus King, I consider him blues-ish, um, like me. Yeah, I'm not really blues, but we're, you know, we've all played one, four, and five. And uh, it, uh, sorry, you're 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 getting me. Uh, it's it's almost seven o'clock hours is where the vocal warm ups start happening, and it's a it's a it's 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 a gig, you know, it's a gig. Um, so the the thing about the blues and the blues foundation, um, you know, they they've done some tremendous work over there over the years. You know, they they, they have a a great a great uh, outreach. Um, the, 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 you know, the, they used to call them the WC handies, but, uh, but now they do the blues music awards and, you know, that, that's always a, a great thing for the community, uh, the international blues challenge, which they're involved with, you know, like, you know, gets people coming in from all over the country, really kind of like unites the blues, uh, the satellite, uh, you know, blues societies and gets everybody to Memphis and they, you know, at least for one night, pretend that Beale street still has blues in it, you know, cause it doesn't kind of normal night. Um, and, you know, so they do tremendous work and, and, uh, you know, we've, all, we've always been very supportive of, of, you know, listen, we're all here to keep the blues alive. You know, we're all here to, 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 you know, keep the, keep the music going and, and support musicians. So there, there's no, you know, for us, there's no, we don't look at it. That's not our competing foundation. It's like, it, that's, that's, that's our partner. You know what I mean? It's like, you, it's like, okay, what are you guys doing? What, what can we do to help? That's how we look at it. Yeah. After you do the song, I didn't think she would do it. You typically do band introductions. You have got mm -hmm. an amazing band. <laughs> Tell us a little mm -hmm. bit about your players. Better than me, all of them. Um, the uh, our, our drummer uh, Lamar Carter played with uh, Rafael Sadig, Demi Lovato, um, among everyone. He's he's amazing, amazing musician. Uh, Calvin Turner on bass, another, you know, uh, amazing musician. Um, uh, Jade McCray on vocals, Danny D'Andrea. I mean, if you sing with this every day, I mean, and you could, you could tolerate it. My God, you know, there's, there's saints. Okay. 
Um, Josh Smith on guitar, you know, better guitar player than I am. It is killer. And um, the guy gets the standing ovation every night, Reese Wines. He gets he gets the biggest ovation of the night. And uh, he's a living legend, you know, played with Stevie Ray, Delbert McClinton. Uh, so, you know, he's he, he's our Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee. Every, every band has to have a Hall of Fame. So he's ours. How many shows a year are you doing right now? 110, maybe. And you're all over the world. And you have you do a Mediterranean cruise every year coming up again this year who's on the lineup this year oh it's Kenny Wayne Shepherd, Blackberry Smoke um come on come on come on Kingfish is on there uh among other Johnny A among other dignitaries uh I think uh, um I, I wish I had the list in front of me but we also have our crews coming up in a couple of weeks so I, I'm trying not to delineate or mix them both up but but I know Kingfish, Blackberry Smoke and Kenny Wayne Shepherd are uh, are the three three maniacs fantastic there, there's a song in your set list that i wasn't familiar with um called uh shout about it uh, where was that from yeah. that's a song um that's going to be on blues deluxe volume 2 the 20th anniversary edition that's coming out this year um and that's an old ronnie earl cover and uh so we just said like hey let's we'll just put it in the set it's it's it, it, it gets people dancing. It's a good, yeah. great groove. Um, Reese gets a nice fat solo. Josh gets a nice fat solo, you know, and, and crowd seems to really like it. So, you know, often you have, um, you've ended a show with the name is, the name is uh, escaping me. Mountain Time. Yes. Mountain Time from an old album, 2002 album, I think, right? And you co-wrote that song with Will Jennings, if I'm not mistaken. And what's the st what's the story behind that song? The last two songs Will and I ever wrote together was uh, "Woke Up Dreaming" and "Mountain Time." And Will retired after that. He, he had that song, "My My Heart Will Go On," and I think he's been active a little bit. But he was he moved to Santa Barbara, and he was like, "Hey, you know, biggest selling single of all time. I'm peacing out. Thank you very much, and good night." You know, um, so. Uh, we wrote these songs, and originally Mountain Time was really fast. It was kind of like a, like a country song, really. Um, and when I toured with Greg Allman in 2002, um, he did a really kind of reimagined version of The Midnight Rider. And I was like, huh, I'd like to see if I can come up with something like that. So I took Mountain Time and reimagined it like a, like a slow version of Midnight Rider, and that's been the arrangement for 20 years. And it seems like it's our most requested song. It's it just mountain time or slow gin. We alternate those back and forth. Um, it's 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 you can close with either one of them, but you cannot put either one of them in the main set. They feel they're arranged as closers. Like thank you, there will be no. Um, you know, if we if we close the show with Mountain Time or Slow Gin, say goodnight, and then came back with a couple other things, it would just be anti-climatic. So you, you just you end on you end on the high note and, and then peace out. I was watching a version of Mountain Time on, on YouTube the other day and it was ten minutes and forty-three seconds long, but it felt like it was two minutes fifty. It was it's yeah. like a little concert within itself. It's it's movements, you know, like it's it's there's different movements and there's the there's the body of the song and then there's and then there's just part of the solos and the changes and how it comes back to the chorus and it's like a revival. You see people with their hands up and like, okay, we've, we've we we got happy customers tonight. 
So I want to take a break from the music just for a second and talk about what you wear on stage. You once compared your the suit you wear on stage to I think a stunt double on the Matrix in an interview. You don't see guys in suits very often on stage. It's a good look. How far back does that go? Oh, about 2006, 2007. My producer, Kevin Sturgeon, he's like, dude, you look like a slob up there. You got you to gotta, you gotta dress better than the audience. You got to like, look like it's star time. And I'm like, okay. Um, and uh, to be honest with you, it's a character. That guy is a character. That guy lives in a wardrobe case over here to my right. And that's a character. And I and that character comes out in about a half hour, and I get dressed, and then I I um, I, I absolutely you know I, I, I uh, you do this uh, you know do the thing for two hours, and then I put them away, and that's that's it. You know the sunglasses are because I'm very light sensitive, and I have two forty thousand watt spotlights on me all pretty much all, the whole night, and it, and it just goes part and parcel with this thing, and. The detractors say, well, you know, it's like, why don't you just wear street clothes? I'm like, well, because because I have people in my own meet and greets that don't recognize me wearing like this stuff, you know, especially kids, like kids like six or seven. They're like, you're going to meet Joe Bonamassa and they expect the costume. And and I had some I had I've had some kind of like start crying and I tell their mom and dad and I'd be like, hey, bring them back at 735. <laughs> Okay, they come back and then you see them light up, and I put the sunglasses on. Okay, it's the, the guy you see—it's the guy you see on TV, not this guy. Yeah, you know. There you go, Joe. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. I, I would love to Thanks. see your guitar Thanks. collection one of these days and geek out over that, but that's for another time. That'll be have to—you have to see it in three days, okay? Because it's—we'll do a hundred. We'll do no, we'll five days. We'll do a hundred a day. Oh my god, and, that would be absolutely amazing. So great talking with yeah. you, Joe. Cheers, guys. I really appreciate it. Got it, man.